0: Welcome everybody to episode 32 of the Off L podcast. This week we're going to be recapping some interesting news from the week. Uh again, no F1. We have F1 back at the Belgian Grand Prix next weekend, so we'll probably talk about that a little bit. Uh along with uh, a surprise uh bit of of uh news and and reaction <laughs> next week uh that uh, we'll we'll leave to uh to next week's show. But this week, you know, so we last week we kind of mentioned uh, the Monterey Car Week was going on, you know, with the introduction of the Lamborghini Countach remake and all that stuff. Uh, but the pinnacle uh, of Monterey Car Week is the Pebble Beach Concourse d'Elegance, which is, I think, widely regarded as, as kind of the concour. There's a, other big ones like Amelia Island. Um, but this is the one that everybody wants to win. And uh, this year's Best in Show was pretty controversial, uh, mm-hmm. I think so the winner uh, was a 1934 Mercedes-Benz 540 K Autobahn courier, which uh, was originally owned by a guy named professor Ignacio Baracur, who who is an ophthalmologist working in Germany at the time. And according to Ignacio's son, his father uh, saw the car at the Berlin motor show when it debuted and decided to buy one. Um, but, Rumors are that he was the personal ophthalmologist for Hitler, or potentially other higher-ups in the Third Reich, and that the car was a gift from Hitler to the doctor. Other rumors say it was a gift from an Arabian prince whose eyesight was saved by the doctor, so it's not quite clear. His son says, no, he just saw it and, and bought it. Um, it's the last surviving car of its kind, at least that's what's believed, and you know, the, the ties to the Third Reich go beyond just the specific cars. So Hitler was a huge fan of the Mercedes K-Series cars. Uh, he was always kind of driven around in Mercedes uh, cars. He owned stock in the Daimler company. So a lot of people thought, you know, this is really inappropriate to be naming essentially a a car that has such ties to the Third Reich as, you know, the best in show and, and that it was very out of touch uh, some some articles I saw compared it to a plantation wedding. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. it's kind of looking at the the beauty of you know a big plantation home and not really understanding or or yeah. respecting the historical the historical, fact, the historical t- context of it. Yeah. So the the question came came up, and I think it's very valid. You know, should the provenance of a car affect how it's viewed in a concor competition? or should it just be viewed in a back a vacuum of this is a beautiful car that's been perfectly restored you know
1: yeah i it's such a challenging thing to answer i mean i, I read all the commentary on you know Jalopnik's article about mm-hmm. this which really like the title of their uh, article is some nazi car won pebble <laughs> yeah know? yeah so they obviously pulled no punches a, <laughs> pretty hard Dance on it. And it was really interesting to just get all the people's perspectives. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, it r- really is um, kind of in the eye of the beholder. To, to yeah. some people, this will matter a great deal, and to others, it, it won't. And I think probably at a bare minimum, it's important to um, know the history behind the car, you know, whether right. it, um, you know, takes the Concord Award or not, I think it's 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 really important because it seems like in this day and age where, you know, you see a lot of this, and I guess historically this has been true, but you see some of these things being celebrated, you know, um, mm-hmm. fascism by some people and things like that. And you kind of lose, I wonder if we lose track a little bit given a distance in time mm-hmm. from what these people represented what they did, um, Mm -hmm. you know, calling into question whether these things even happened. So I think, you know, fundamentally it's important to note the, the history surrounding the car. Right. Um, I think it's, from my perspective, I think it's, it's separable, um, to, to keep them separate, but, Mm -hmm. I I do understand people's perspectives where it's not, but it does like really become challenging just in, in general, you know, you, you look at Mercedes today, you look at like BMW, Mm -hmm. um, you know, manufacturing aircraft engines Mm -hmm. uh, for the third Reich. And Mm -hmm. so where are the degrees of separation and um, you know, what line do you take on it is probably, you know, kind of runs the gamut. For, yeah. for human beings where some people are like, I will never, you know, I remember a Larry David episode on uh, HBO HB he's like, mm-hmm. somebody was like, you know, what do you think about the new BMW 7 series? And he's like, I've never run Nazi sleds. Yeah. You know? And so well,
0: I, I, I mean, and, and that's probably that, that line was probably written as part of a joke in the show, but I, I have exactly. heard a similar sentiment from, you know, yeah. I've I've heard other kind of people in the automotive world say, you know, their grandfather who was Jewish vowed never to buy a Mercedes. You know, yeah. mean, these, these did, these things did run deep, you know, these feelings, these sentiments. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think you're right. It is. It's really challenging because I think if we look at Pebble beach, I, I kind of, I'll talk about Pebble beach and then the car itself, but you know, Pebble beach, this is happening at a time when we have a global pandemic, we have, you know, catastrophic climate change, all these terrible things are happening. And the images coming out of Pebble Beach are of a bunch of millionaires and billionaires patting each other on the back on a golf course, you know, with all these like yeah. you know fancy cars uh that are worth, you know, tens of millions of dollars. And and so it's it seems out of touch right from the off. Um sure. and then Add in something like this and and part of the inflammatory you know mood around this was that there was a comment made um, in the materials that came with the car's restoration talking about the car and they said uh, at the time in February 1934 when this debuted uh, a fresh era had dawned for the German motor industry no car at the March exhibition the Berlin Motor Show encapsulated the optimistic mood in manufacturing more than a magnificent black coupe on a Mercedes-Benz stand. And Mm. that, while it may be true, it was optimistic in Germany at that time. You have to understand it was optimistic because Hitler was coming to power and, you know, creating this national fervor among the, among the German people, people. And, and so you know, that context was not given properly, I don't think. And, you know, if you look at the car in isolation, it is stunning. It is a beautiful...
1: I I agree with that. It is.
0: Kind of big pontoons, and it's big and long. And, I mean, there's no denying from a shape standpoint, it is a beautiful car. Um, But I think you really need to respect the context of it. But it is tough. I mean... Are we going to say every every Porsche is is not allowed to win a competition because the founder worked with the Nazis? Auto yeah. Union, no Audi's ever allowed to win any competition because auto union's ties to the Nazis, Mercedes. I mean, every German manufacturer was yeah,
1: has ties to has some ties. extent. I mean,
0: hell, outside of the automotive world, Tyson Krupp, you know, they they were virulent Nazis, early supporters of Hitler. <laughs> And and they're a, a huge global manufacturing company now, um, so I think anything that any any German company that goes back, you know, that has history back into the into the 30s is going to have some tie to the Nazi regime because the Nazi regime controlled everything in the country. Um, yeah, you know, and so I think it's it's tough. I I think. Ultimately, for me, you have to say, okay, we accept, you know, that this car, you know, has, has ties to the Third Reich. And, and maybe, you know, you have the social awareness to not enter that car for Pebble Beach, if you're the owner. Um, Yeah. (laughs) You know, just understanding like, hey. You know, this is historically important, but maybe I shouldn't just be showing it off as this, you know, pretty thing that I restored. Um, yeah, it just doesn't. From a social standpoint, I think it, it's a little bit. Uh, you know, it's yeah. it's challenging.
1: Yeah, it really is. I mean, if you could completely isolate this thing from you know mainstream and have you know, no social media, nowhere to spread, you mm-hmm. know, the, you know, that this is even going on and you're literally having restoration experts look at these, this car outside yeah. of any historical
0: Context, knowledge,
1: yeah. then, you know, it's probably something that for the person who restored it could be, you know kind of a celebration of yeah look at what we did with this like Mm -hmm. here's where we started and we paid really you know close attention to detail and trying to get this back to its original Mm -hmm. Um, but there are other cars you could do that with right and you know so it, it just every every aspect of it is seen to some extent through that lens, unfortunately, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, yeah, why did going you pick that car? Yeah. You know, this item that was used might have been produced from, you know, slave labor, mm-hmm. you know, during that time, you know? And so it's just like, like you just kind of alluded to, there's really not a way to escape that lens Yeah, uh, with the car. And, and so yeah. I don't know. I mean, everybody's going to make like different decisions and interpret it differently. Some -hmm. people will be like, no, I can completely separate that. And I guess, fair enough. If you feel like you can do that, you can do that. But other people will never be able to, you know?
0: Yeah. And, you
1: know, and I kind of like, we we always look at these things in terms of also what's going on. Mm -hmm. So maybe if this was, I don't know, maybe like mid 80s or something or early 80s or late seventies and mostly everyone was just fixated on capitalism and communism. Mm -hmm. Nobody would really care because, you know, I mean like people would still care, but you know, right now it feels like you're a little, we're all a little bit on edge after kind of like politically what we've seen, Mm -hmm. what we've seen going on in other countries. And so everybody's just a little bit more on edge. And so this is going to get caught in that crossfire
0: as well. I think if this happened even five years ago, six years ago, no one would have, no one Maybe would have not. batted an eye. But I think with the rise in so many countries, including our own of kind of yeah. fascist ish dictate, you yeah. know, leaders a little, you know, yeah, a little
1: and, bit more anti-Semitism, things like that.
0: Right. You, you have, have kind you of have a recipe where. Yeah. yeah, you've seen a resurgence of kind of fascist ideals in in countries around the world and I think exactly. that nerve is pretty raw right now. Exactly. Yep. And uh so it, just a not not a good time. <laughs> um so but a really <laughs> yeah. interesting conversation you know I I I've I've heard it talked about before in the context of Porsche because of obviously Ferdinand Porsche's close association with with hitler and designing the 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 volkswagen beetle you know the people's car uh Mm -hmm. and so you know that's that's kind of been you know talked about before but uh this really kind of brought it to to the forefront um yeah but uh moving on to mercedes-benz of of modern times uh Mm -hmm. this was a really interesting one the way the news broke i agree uh so the, the headline is that Mercedes is suspending V8s in the V8 uh, car sales in the U.S. for 2022. And what happened was last week, a Reddit user posted on one of the Reddit forums this internal memo that was sent from Mercedes HQ to all its U.S. dealers, basically saying that they were suspending U.S. sales of V8-powered cars in 2022, uh, meaning that consumers won't be able to purchase. 17 different Mercedes models. Um, And that post has subsequently been verified by multiple other sources. Um, Although I haven't seen Mercedes officially put out a press release or anything. um, A Mercedes spokesman did tell motor authority that the automaker has, quote, prioritized its focus to comply with global, external, and internal requirements, along with facing challenging supply chain issues. The affected cars are basically all AMG products. Um... The C63, yeah. C63S, the E63S wagon and sedan, the GLC AMG cars, um, the uh, GT AMG cars, and perhaps for one of our friends, uh, the G63. Um yeah. One mm-hmm. of our friends actually has a G63 on order. Uh, and when this story broke, uh, he got a call from his dealer. And I haven't gotten to talk to him again. <laughs> What the outcome of that was. Um, Mm. But uh, so for 2022, the only new uh, cars that you can order with a V8 are the S-Class and the Maybach Um, S-Class. But there is some confusion as as, um, the email that was sent to dealers supposedly says that consumers can still order the 2021 G550 and G63. So really kind of fascinating. I mean, on the face of it, it looks like this may be you know, another domino falling from the chip shortage. But my my question is, given global, you know, particularly in the EU, but also global kind of increasing restrictions on um, internal combustion engines and things like that, do you think this is a temporary move for Mercedes, or is the V8 going to just kind of die a sad death to these regulations?
1: I don't know, man. I wondered the same thing because. When you look at it, when you look at that list of models with so many of them being AMGs, like mm-hmm. that's a big profit center. Um, oh, AMGs getting hard devastated by this. Yeah. So I I don't, I guess I just don't know enough about this subject. So I'm really just unfortunately postulating here. I don't, I don't have exact answers, but mm-hmm. I'm really wondering, and I, I think I texted this to you earlier this week, just thinking, okay, why kill that car. Why not say we're going to keep those available
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we're going to we're going to, you know, pirate chips from some of our mass volume sellers and just say, you know, we're going to cut production by 10,000 of these so that we can make all these a AMG's these. which we yeah. yeah, that we make like a lot more money on.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: maybe one possibility is that the chips that are on order for these AMG's are somehow kind of more specific to them. Mm-hmm. and they they did they thought when they made planning back in 2020 they were thinking i think maybe logically okay there's going to be we're going to be in a crunch here mm-hmm. and so with this pandemic and so maybe harkening back to prior experiences these higher end premium versions are not going to sell as well yeah so we're going to cancel specific chip orders for those mm-hmm. and then lo and behold kind of what we've seen very it's frequently in our is the exact opposite. All the everybody with money got richer mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and everybody with no money got poorer in this whole yeah uh kind of debacle. And so now they're like, oh my gosh, I wish we had kept those chips, but they're not going to be here. So we can't we're not going to yeah. be able to make these because we just can't substitute them. Yeah. I'm leaning a little bit more toward that probably happened because the emissions stuff, it seems like a lot of that's been like writing on the wall for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So companies really should be long-term planning these V eights, you know, all the engineering, all the technical work, manufacturing tooling has already been done. Right. You know, so every one of those that you sell at this point is like re returning investment.
0: Yeah. You've, returning already son- you've already you've on that investment some cost. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I, I you know like I could see kind of like Audi, who seems like they've been much more aggressive with this, saying this is the last. We're not we're not making anymore. We're not re-engineering a new internal combustion engine at this point. Like this is what you're right. going to get. You know we'll right. put maybe different turbos on it or something like that. We'll get a mm-hmm. few more years out of these RS lines, Engines, but um, yeah. you know. And so I think if they were on that trajectory, we'd hear more news about that. Yeah. And so my my assumption is that they they have a very good reason for doing this because uh, these, like I said, obviously should be a profit center for them more so than their volume sellers. Yeah. And, and maybe it is still the the chip shortage because, like, why the hell would you not be pirating <laughs> chips from your C class to Chipper. you know get these yeah. Maybach sold? You yeah.
0: know, <laughs> like I, that's insane. I, I, t- <laughs> I totally agree with you. I think I think they had the same miscalculation as so many other automakers and assumed that you know, if there was going to be any segment of their cars that were that were going to not sell as well with the pandemic, it was going to be the high-end stuff. Um, and, you know, contrary to pretty much everyone's common-sense opinion, it was, you know, the opposite happened. And, yeah. um, and so I, I do think that you're right in that, you know, this is predominantly based on, you know, what they ordered chips for, Um, and maybe the AMG ones, because they are more complicated a bit, you know, maybe they require more. I do think it's probably temporary from that standpoint, but I I think Mercedes may also use this as kind of a test to try and wean people off of, you know, this, the kind of venerable AMG V8. There were already plans for the C63 to go to a, a twin turbo, uh, four cylinder, I believe in, um, the next iteration, the next model. Uh, year and so you know they're already that was part of their plan for dealing with the the european um regulations going forward anyways uh and so i think mercedes is moving this direction regardless um, but i i think it you know some of these cars i don't think are going to survive i mean i don't think who's going to want a G 63 with a twin turbo V six or something. It's just, that's part of the, that's part of the personality of the car is, you know, a big snarly V eight, you know, um,
1: I agree that's, you know, sometimes you kind of wonder if that's a little bit why, you know, Audi maybe just said the hell with it. We're just going to put, turn these into electrics because otherwise, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to dilute this to such a degree that, people are not going to be satisfied. We're just going to, we're just going to take crap for neutering yeah. this uh, amazing car and now charging more money for it. People are going to be right. like, you not.
0: Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's really unfortunate for anyone that had one of these cars on order because yeah, really you know, suck. maybe you're waiting another year or you're maybe just canceling your order. But, uh, uh, you know, it. I think it just goes to show you how significant, again, once again, how significant this chip shortage is. I mean, Toyota also announced they're cutting production for the, the next year by 40%. I mean, yeah. 40% you know, of their profit I, is gone. I, I mean, that's... I, I did have a... I did. This just
1: brings up a question that I, I had thought a lot about lately. Um, mm-hmm. Are we... Is this, you know, like when we think about things in sustainable terms um, you know, did we fundamentally need to be making this number of cars anyways, every year, you know? um, Yeah. With, with like how long cars can potentially last now we're, we're were the, I was just talking about this with my wife the other night, like was the depreciation that we saw in the first year have a lot more to do with kind of, priced obsolescence by manufacturers you know continually mm-hmm. flooding the market yeah and everyone just thinking i have to have a new one when fundamentally like you're you're kind of like getting to a point we see you know when the iphone came out mm-hmm. and then the subsequent iterations for like the next five years came out i was like
0: returns. I, have to ha-
1: I have to have this new one like it right. is a totally different experience and now it's like Well, even the freaking Toyota RAV4 has just about as good cruise control and adaptive stuff as your $90,000, you know, BMW X7. And so then, fundamentally, you don't really, like, need a new car and could conceivably drive that thing for 10 years and it would be just fine, Mm -hmm. frankly. I
0: think think there's always going to be the keeping up with the Joneses people that if their neighbor gets a new Mercedes, they need to get a new BMW or whatever. Uh, And I think this push by the car manufacturers of just the production volume of new models, I think has been kind of helped by the rise of, of car leasing. I mean, car leasing, I wasn't even, I had never even heard of that when I was a kid. And now, you know, everybody leases cars. Like no one, I mean, very, it seems like very few people own, like straight up own their car. Like they... You know particularly if it's a new one it's one thing if they're driving around in a 10 year old car they probably own that but if someone's driving around in a new BMW a new Mercedes the majority of those people are leasing that um and so you know every three years they get the yeah. new yeah. the new car because they just turn in the the old one and lease the new one I think outside if if leasing wasn't a thing I think the the amount of new cars being produced would be much less because no one's well, not no one, but not very many people are going to be going out and buying a brand new car every three years when their car they currently have works just fine. Um And yeah, like you said, good point. at this stage of the game, in terms of intron combustion cars, like it's, you're getting slight improvements every year, maybe a, a, a slight, you know, redesign of the exterior or maybe
1: a bigger grill, a, a couple an more angles,
0: the engine. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, very small changes. You're not, you're not going from like, you know, my 2020 car carburetor
1: to a fuel injector.
0: Yeah, exactly. You're not making no turbo to turbo. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, I, I think, I think the short answer is no, like we don't need the amount of cars that are produced every year. Like it's just, you know,
1: cause you look now like at the price of used cars. I mean, that is all the evidence. I think that you know, if they made a few less new cars, all of our cars would hold a better value. Oh, and, for sure. And I think driven by like what you're saying, the keeping up with the Joneses and then maybe just kind of like human boredom with mm-hmm. the same experience over and over. Like, I like I just would like a new experience. Like I've been, I've had this for four or five years. I'd like something new. Right. You know, um, drives that to some extent as well.
0: Yeah. And I, I uh, you know, and, and that's that's if you have the disposable income. I think most people are probably going out and they're maybe getting a two year old Honda Accord and they're driving it for 10 to 15 years until it dies. You know, you know, for people that aren't really car enthusiasts, they just need something that works and they need it to work for as long as possible. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I I think it's actually probably a good thing that we're going to have a decreased volume of cars uh, being produced because, you know, there's probably tons of cars that are ending up in junkyards that are perfectly serviceable.
1: Yeah. Maybe you didn't need to. So the, yeah. the other group that fits maybe from this or mechanics.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> because
1: now we got to nurse this baby a little longer. Yeah, we got to make it last a little bit <laughs> we longer. Planned, you know?
0: <laughs> yep. Well, uh, moving on to kind of the last thing on, on the, uh, agenda for today. Um, pretty, you know, pretty exciting that affordable sports cars are back on the menu. So, uh, the new Toyota GR86 uh, reviews are finally kind of pouring in, and uh, Nissan just announced the 400Z, or or just the Z, um, mm-hmm. a little confusing what the name actually is, uh, but it made its debut this week. Um, the GR86 reviews have been extremely positive, basically saying that this new model fixes pretty much all the issues with the last generation model, which... Everybody agreed the last gen had an amazing chassis handled really, really well. It's just, it was underpowered. It had a huge torque hole at low RPMs. The new model features a 2.4 liter, uh, four cylinder compared to the two liter, uh, of the outgoing generation. Uh, and the new, the new engine produces 228 horsepower, which is up 23 from the outgoing model and 184 pound feet of torque, which is up 28, uh, from the outgoing model. And uh, as before, the six-speed manual is the default option. Uh, and the new 400Z debuted with some retro styling, which we kind of saw from some teaser photos months ago. A twin-turbo V6 that makes 400 horsepower and 300 pound-feet of torque. A six-speed manual option and rear-wheel drive. So we've got two relatively reasonably priced uh, rear-wheel drive front-engine sports you know, cars hitting the road the Z and GRD6 pricing hasn't officially been announced, but rumors are the Z will start around 35,000 and the GRD6 will start at about mm. 29,000. So I, I'm pretty excited to just see these things out on the road. I'm, I'm really glad uh, these manufacturers still continue to make cars for enthusiasts, but uh, what do you think about them?
1: Yeah, no, it's exciting to see that, you know, especially at the price point, you know, because it just becomes attainable um, right. by a lot of people instead of, you know like what we were talking about it seems like so many weekends like okay Lamborghini's going to make this for 100 people and that's going to be yeah, 4 million right <laughs> like, right
0: right no right.
1: wonder everybody's buying crossovers you know yeah so yeah. that's yeah, fun to see to and then um what i think why these cars are really you know kind of pure and perfect sports cars is is everything is in kind of alignment mm-hmm. in terms of the weight of the car the mm-hmm. horsepower, and so it's something that you can really push, yeah, and use t- kind of like to the limit, also on American roads, yeah, and you know, that's three really seconds later, you're not, you know, going to jail or something, right? And no, so that's... it's like, especially with the manual option, mm-hmm. um, you're going to be really fully engaged with this car, and it's actually really all you need, and you look at those horsepower numbers and you think, well, they're not like astronomical, but that that's fine because they're not, they're not, they whales, need to be, you know, yeah. like, yeah. um, like the Tycon trying to pull around whatever the, how that thing weighs like 5,000 pounds of weight. <laughs> yeah. He's a whale. And so it's got these crazy horsepower numbers, but to, to have the performance that they want it to have, it kind of needs that. Yeah. Because these are probably pretty light cars and they're going to be really fun in corners and stuff like that. And it's like really all you need if you're doing, you know, back roads driving on roads where you're fifty-five miles an hour.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. I mean, you you know, these join the Miata in that kind of small pantheon of cars that someone that's in their you know early twenties that got a decent job out of school can potentially afford and mm-hmm. they can go out and enjoy it on a back road. And it's going to be. It's got a great. They're going to have a great chassis. I know. You know, the GRD six for sure. I'm assuming the Z will have a, a decent chassis as well. And you're right. I mean, th- we've talked about that before. Like the performance of like your Tycon or my 911 is amazing, but so inaccessible. In
1: yeah, look at regular you had driving. To take yours, you had to take yours onto like a freaking racetrack.
0: Yeah, I had, I had to, to go to one of the biggest racetracks use... in the country. Dude. To use yeah, 80% to use, of it. That's what
1: I was just going to say. To use 80% of it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and don't get me wrong. I love, I love driving it. I love uncorking that, that engine, but you're right. I mean, after I get done winding out first gear, I'm going any, if I go any faster, like I'm going to prison, <laughs> Yeah, you know, so yeah. it's, it's, you know, whereas these cars, like you're going to be rowing the gears, you've got to keep the RPMs up to kind of keep it in the power band. I mean, yeah, you, you got to be engaged with the car.
1: Yeah. You're listening to the car, you're getting feedback from the car, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think from that standpoint, for a lot of people, it's a sports car that you can enjoy a hundred percent of a lot of the time. Yeah. Whereas for you to be able to enjoy eight, that 80 to hundred percent of the nine eleven, you have to kind of live near track.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I mean, mean on, you, on public. If roads, you live it's yeah, like if
1: you live 45 minutes ahead. away from Laguna Seca,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you've you've even got a stronger argument to have a car like that, especially if you're tracking it frequently. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like you know, my experience with the Tycon with that amount of power, theoretically it's like, oh, that sounds great, that'd be really fun. But when you start, you know, using it and us not having like immediate access to a track around to your Mm-hmm. it becomes frankly for lack of a better word just badging you know well, yeah. it's a cool badge that's a really powerful one well yeah that's great
0: but i, I can't really use it <laughs> yeah i mean yeah in in traffic doing 25 miles an hour yeah. like <laughs> it doesn't really it's really yeah,
1: yeah it's sweet badging for,
0: yeah to, it's
1: aside from that you know
0: yeah i i just i love i love that that these car companies are still committed. I mean, these are true classic enthusiast cars, front engine, rear wheel drive, manual, usable horsepower. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's everything you'd want. And, you know, if you're a young, younger person, you know, or, or you're somebody that loves cars, but you know, you're not, you're, you're not in at a point in your life where you're buying, you know, crazy sports cars. Like these are, these are awesome. You know, I, yeah,
1: and honestly, the manufacturers, you know, you gotta, you gotta like tilt your hat to them as well for even making them,
0: yeah, because it's such a small segment of the market, yeah.
1: It takes some and takes some balls in this day and age to have somebody come into a corporate meeting and say, We need to make this, yeah, because all of these corporations are run, I think, practically with you know, business people at many levels Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. probably Mm -hmm. don't even kind of give a shit about the product they're churning out all they what care thought, about are the numbers on the spreadsheet and so you yeah. you've got to have a core group of people in that company that comes and says no we need to make this because this yeah. is part of our brand you yeah
0: know? the the business people are not going to be great at saying like they're not going to be great at identifying the spirit of the brand and and that's where you need people like akio toyota at toyota yeah you need some of the leadership that's at Nissan right now, you know, like Akio Toyota races cars. Like he famously, he, he, uh, raced, (laughs) he raced a car under, under a different name because he knew that the company would not want him out there racing. Um, and so he, he is a car guy. He's a passionate car guy. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah, exactly. And he's the one that's really spearheaded the, the GR, the Gazoo racing, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, performance kind of subdivision at Toyota and, you know, reading about the, reading about the 400 Z, you know, the, the, uh, the leadership of of Nissan basically said, like, we knew that this was incredibly important for our, our company to kind of heal after all the crazy stuff that happened with Carlos goes uh, the yeah. former CEO and, and all the kind of, negative stereotypes that have grown up around Nissan, you know, uh, currently they're kind of viewed as, you know, the car you get when you can't, you know, you don't have good enough credit to get anything else, um, yeah. which, you know, I don't think is always fair, but, you know, they they have been guilty of doing some pretty nasty lease deals and stuff. So, yeah. you know, I think they realize like, Hey, the Z cars are an incredibly important part of the history of our company. We need to do this right, you know, and we need to get this company back on track. And this is a big, this is a, it may not be a volume seller for them, but this is going to be a big, you know, point of reference for them in terms of the spirit of their company, which, which I think is really cool.
1: Yeah, it's great to see them out there. Hope to see some on the road.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, it's only a matter of time. So, well, thanks. Thanks so much for listening this week, everybody. Um, we'll be back next week with, uh, maybe a few surprises as well as some discussion of the, the Belgian Grand Prix. And, uh, until then follow us on social media, uh, Instagram is a blow off Valve podcast. Uh, it's, it's where we'll, you know, let you know when shows are out and, and it's a good place to interact with us. And, Uh, Be sure to uh, subscribe to us and and comment and rate us on iTunes and Podbean. That's really helpful for the show, getting us uh, out to more listeners. And until then, we'll see you next week.